This is Deep Blue, where we get the true life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. What if I told you one of the greatest BYU athletes started as a walk-on, then after he makes it to the NFL, he makes the game-winning play to send his team to the Super Bowl, and he can't even play in that game? Or that he loves the tight end position so much he's the father-in-law to one of the best ones BYU's ever had? He's a man of enthusiasm, an author, a friend of mine. His name is Chad Lewis. Chad, what is up, man? Boom. Let's go. What a What an intro. Good job. Hey. Double J. <laughs> I can't get everything that you've done or are in this. So you're one of my favorite people, by the way. I think my first love with you was, one, obviously being a BYU football player, but you went to Orem, and a bunch of my aunts and uncles went to Orem, so I was always like, Orem High represent. I didn't go to Orem, but I just love Orem. Lincoln High before that. There, there's a lot of BYU connections there, right? Lavelle Edwards, baby. I grew up, I think, nine houses away from where Lavelle grew up. That's my home. It was like a hardworking, tough school, great tradition. I, was, I felt honored to go there. It was cool. Johnny Harleen. Uh, Gary Croton, Puka Nakua. Keep going. Dave McCann, <laughs> Brett Pine, Duff Tittle. I mean, there's a lot of Orem Tigers, right? That's so great. Dalton Nixon, uh, Craig Cusick. There's a million, right? You got them. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Okay, so uh, what's your life like when you're little? Your dad's a doctor. Mm-hmm. He delivers babies. Uh, you're one of how many kids? What's one that of like? five. One of five boys. So a lot of sports, a lot of fights, a lot of rough and tumble. But more than anything, a lot of hikes. So my dad grew up as, he grew up in Cedar City, Utah, where Zion National Park is right there. And he did a a lot of hiking. And so he became the scoutmaster in our ward. And his philosophy for us was, let's get out and let's see this place. Let's, Let's go on some epic adventures. And so we were hiking through Zion Narrows before anyone knew that there was an Instagram called the Narrows. And we were... We were living in Capitol Reef. We were up in the Uintas. We were everywhere, sleeping in snow caves. His vision for us, he called it the Lewis Plan, was that we would hike all over the world instead of playing competitive sports. And then one by one, my brothers got into football, and he was like, okay, whatever, teach me about football. And so he's, he's never been a connoisseur of football. Like He's never like, what the heck is the coach doing that for, other than... He says, well, why don't coaches just coach like it's the last two minutes of the half of the game all the time? Because it seems like you guys score really easy. What the heck? (laughs) That sense of urgency. Right. So what was it like to be me as a little kid? Epic adventures. Cool hikes. Seeing the world. Being raised by the coolest parents ever. Everywhere I went, I had friends because I had four brothers. I, I can't think of a cooler environment to grow up in than that. It was perfect. Where do you fit in the five? Number four. You're number four. Yep. One of your brothers plays at Utah? Mike played at Utah. What was that so like? Did you grow fight, up a Cougar fan? I grew up a big Cougar fan. Big Cougar big fan. Time. Okay. Yeah, big so time. He, so he defects. He defects, yeah. My mom went to Utah. My dad went to medical school at Utah. And then he played football there. But the rest of us, the four others, we all went to BYU. And I grew up loving BYU big time. And then he gets a scholarship to play football at Utah. I could not believe that my brother was going to play Division One football. It was nuts. And it was the coolest thing in the world. So I became a big University of Utah fan. I went to the games. I'd sneak on the sidelines. I, would, I was treated great by Coach Fossil and all, Coach McQuivy, all the other coaches. I went to the Utah football camp as a senior. But my senior year, we're getting ready to play in the state championship game. The news comes down, interviews me. And the last question was, who's going to win the BYU-Utah game this week? And I said, B 
BYU, man. I love Ty Detmer. My brother's playing at Utah. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time, he was on his mission, but Ty Detmer was in the middle of being Ty Detmer. What year is this? This is 1989. So the f- that was a bloodbath for BYU yeah, that day. Yeah, that's right. A 70 spot. So, But this was the fall of 88. Okay, so it's the year before. Right. The bloodbath. So It's probably still a BYU win that year. And I got a call that night from Wayne McQuibby, the running backs coach and recruiting coordinator. He's like, dude, what the <laughs> crap are you talking about? Like, your brother plays up here. And I was like, we put you on the sideline. I'm like, in in the interview, I said, yeah, BYU. Uh, I mean, I mean, Utah, like, uh, but it was like Ty Detmer. Love that dude. And so. Okay, Utah wins that game, 57-28. See, there you go. That's a a redshirt freshman tie. Tie. Well, the next year, the next year was a little different. It was a 70 to 31 win. Wow. (laughs) So, anyway. So you were, you were kind of on both sides there, but. Do you be so you're temporarily a Utah fan because of your brother, but you loved BYU? Uh, if he didn't play Utah, I would have never had the inspiration to walk on here and play at BYU. If he, oh, okay, that, that changed everything, it changed your belief. Oh, completely. As a going into my sophomore year in high school, I was like, really, my brother's playing in college football. That wasn't part of who we were as a family. We were, like I said, we were cruising around hiking, going on scout camps, and now I got a brother playing for Utah. And what position he was defensive end. So Fossil redshirted him that first year. They were 0-6 or 0-7. Pulled him off redshirt to play against Arizona State. I got to see my brother play on TV in college football. And they got ripped by ASU, but there's my brother running around playing. It was cool. So my concept and my belief, even though I was a very immature physically kid, I'm a very late bloomer, so as a sophomore, I looked like I was in sixth grade. But I had a belief and that's all you need in sports. Everything else catches up. Talent, muscles, hard work, knowing how to do it. If you, your belief is everything. I had a belief. So then you go on your mission straight out of high school? Or do you come to BYU? I went first? to UVU. And the reason I went to UVU is because Jim Fossil said, hey, we want you to come to Utah after your mission. But you're really a skinny late bloomer. You're not offered a scholarship by Correct. BYU or Utah. Are Correct. you offered by anybody? No. Nobody. I'm on nobody's radar. No Idaho radar. State, no Southern Utah. Not NORAD, nothing. not nothing. I'm not on the <laughs> radar. So Fossil said, look, I know you're admitted to BYU. Don't go there. Because if you go there, you're going to love it. And you'll never come to Utah. <laughs> At least go to UVU, yeah. UVSC at the yeah. time. Take 11 credits. Go for a year. Go on your mission. After your mission, you got five years to play four. Doors are open. Uh, it's called gray shirting. Yeah. Yeah. So you, in the meantime, you, he gets fired. Yep. I go to UVSC. I take full credits, you know, 11 credits for a year. I get very good grades, and then I go on my mission, and I come home, and I have five years to play for. But as a missionary, I said, I'm not going to Utah. I'm going to BYU. I'm going to be a doctor like my dad. I'm getting on with my life. But I had a mission companion, Larry Harmer, who was on scholarship, and for two years— we talked all, every time we saw each other about playing football at BYU. Together. Yeah. So when I came home, he was after me like, bro, have you talked to the coaches yet? Let's go. Let's go. Finally. And this is the moment that changed my life. He got after me. He'd never gotten after me before. We're mission companions. We're friends. We're like, he got after me. And he said, you need to pray about this. And if you pray about this, I'll never bug you again for the rest of your life. I know you can play. 
Are you indecisive at this point still? I'm indecisive. I've already walked onto the track team at BYU as a high jumper. So you're going to BYU, but it's not a football thing. Correct. Okay. And we're going to talk about why all this matters in just, just a second. But he said, go pray about it. I did for a week and a half, two weeks, solid, constantly. You're night. in Taiwan on your mission. We were Taiwan missionaries. But now I'm home. I'm going to school, and I'm on the track team. I receive a revelation, absolutely 100% certainty, divine answer to my prayer, that it was for me the best thing in the world to go play football at BYU, to go talk to Coach Chow and to move forward. No question whatsoever. The next day I went in, I talked to Coach Pella and Coach Chow, and I said, I want to walk on. And Coach Chow said, aren't you Big Mike's little brother? Coach Chow played at the University of Utah. He knew who Mike was. And I said, yeah, that's my brother. He's like, well, why aren't you playing at Utah? And I said, because I want to be at BYU. I love this place. And he said, okay, I tell you what. We're throwing before spring ball, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 11 o'clock. So I'll let you come in and throw with the guys. And I was like, sweet. The first time I went in and threw, I was way faster than I was in high school. I moved like a real football player. In high school, I just tried hard. Things were different. And after that first practice, even though I was wearing glasses and looked like Clark Kent more than Superman, he said, no, tell me again what your situation is. I said, I went to U of U, 11 credits. I have five years to play four. And he was like, okay, well, just be patient with this whole process. The fact that Coach Norm Chow said that to me that day told me everything I needed to know about the divine answer I had to walk on and play football and the possibility of having a future in football. He saw it. I was tall, I was skinny, but I could run fast, and I caught everything. And he was saying, just be patient. Because he knew, like he could see it in his eye, like you're a tight end at BYU. Mm. That was sweet. That was really cool. So do you, are you still on the track team at this point? You're still high jumping or you go all in football walk on? I was just a low jumper at that point. Track is now officially <laughs> over. You're a low jumper? <laughs> They're like, uh, I know you're walking here too. But. <laughs> we don't know how to tell you this, but yeah. you stink. <laughs> <laughs> Thank heavens that football came along. uh, Yeah. Okay, so you get back from your mission, and you play the next four years, 93, 4, 5, and then culminates in 96, which is one of the greatest teams, if not the best team ever, from BYU. But what made all this possible for me, four months before my mission, my dad has a massive stroke. Mm. The stroke was from a root canal, an abscessed tooth, infection. He didn't know about it. It led to endocarditis, an infection in his heart. He ended up having an aneurysm, full brain surgery. He was not supposed to walk. Two months after, he stayed in the hospital after brain surgery for two months. He ended up walking out of the hospital. There's a million incredible stories I could take up hours. That moment and my mission, those two things were, that's the fulcrum of my life. It changed everything about who I am. Yes, I was me before who I became, but I was different after that. Different. What was different? My belief in God was always there, but it was so strengthened. My, 
my love for my family was always there, but it was so strengthened. My reliance, my, my understanding of my gifts, it wasn't really there growing up. I came to know some of my gifts as a missionary and, and because of that stroke and recovery of my dad. And it changed who I was, my confidence, different. My belief in myself, different. And so that, it's just before my dad's stroke and mission and after. And if you talk to all my friends, they'd probably say the same thing. Like, yeah, he was always Chad, but then he was different. And uh, I'm so grateful, even though it was the hardest thing for my dad and all the rest of us, it was, it was the fire, it was the furnace of affliction, it was the refiner's fire, it was everything. And 31 years later, my dad is still tying his tie with one hand, trying to walk, um, it's getting really challenging. Um, so life doesn't get easier, but that experience, that is my life. That's, that, that was everything. How old are you when that happened? 18 and a half. So right before your mission. Yep. And that changed everything. Yeah, without that, I probably don't play college football at BYU. I certainly don't play in the NFL. Um, it, it changed everything. It strengthened that belief yeah. you talked about? Yeah, big mm. time. Mm. There are those moments, right, that are going to – you're going to go one direction or you may go yeah. in many other directions. Yeah. And it's, and it's gnarly to think about that. Are you uh, the greatest NFL player that went to UVSC or UVU? Yes. <laughs> Are there any others? <laughs> Are there any others? Seriously, that's a good question. I don't I, know. Yeah, I don't even know who if else If I'm went UVSC, there. I'm asking you for money. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Chad Lewis on Deep Blue. Okay, so you, you, okay, you're on the team. Like, it's happening. Is there a point where you were validated, like you said, in that moment with Norm Chow? But, like, as a player, like, okay, I'm actually contributing. I'm not just on the team. Yeah. Because you have this one-handed catch against Ohio State right. in Freshman the bowl game, year. which is just incredible. Yeah. By the way, Kirk Herbstreit is the radio sideline guy for Ohio State there next to a young Gregor Bell. <laughs> I love it. Like, That's so like, cool. Like, it's so, like, whoa, what? Um, <laughs> that play made the top 100 plays in BYU history. We did a show last fall. Yeah, it was last sweet. December. It was Loved great. it. At what point in that season were you like, Great pass oh, by I'm not, John Walsh and great call John by Walsh. Norm. At what point are you like, I'm not just on the team. I can actually like contribute and play and like be a part of this. It was right during when I walked on that spring, I was, you know, not one of the top guys. I was eighth string. And there were eight tight ends, you were the eighth. Yeah, I was the last. And we had a little scrimmage at the end of practice. And I remember Tom Young threw me a pass. It was a the play was red right sixty five. I did a ten and out. If it was zone, I would kind of float into the zone. And if it was man, I was going to break really hard out. I broke hard. He threw it. I was covered from the linebacker and the safety, and a corner was coming over. So there were three guys. We all went for the ball. I jumped up. I came down with it. And it was so awesome. I came back to the huddle, and Lance Reynolds was looking at me with these eyes like, he said, bro, that was big time. And I knew. I was like, I can do this. And I started feeling it in spring ball. And that feeling grew all through the summer. I worked harder. I felt like I worked harder than anyone on that team. It's probably not true, but in my mind, I did. And when that freshman year came around, I was ready to go. Like, I wanted to play so bad. And not only wanted to play, my dream was to jump over someone in a football game. 
You had thought about that before. Big time. Is that because you had done high jump? Had you done it when you were younger? Just high jump. Never okay. done it in Just football like, in high school. I can combine this. I wouldn't even have dreamed about doing it in high school. I wasn't. I I was not that good. I was not athletically gifted enough to even have that thought. Like I'm going to jump over someone on a in this game. You know, I wasn't thinking that way. I was like, man, I hope I catch this. <laughs> <laughs> that was the love. Yeah, but now that I'm home, now that I'm back, my dream was I'm going to jump over someone, and it finally happened. One of the last games my freshman year, we played UTEP, and a guy. You know, Sam Rogers was their safety, came to tackle me up the left sideline, and I jumped over him, didn't touch me. And I went crazy. I ran around the field like I just won the Heisman. And <laughs> Bryce Doman's slapping me on the head like all of us were just going crazy. And that was like, I learned something about all of us, not just me and my brain and my heart, all of us, that if we plant things and want things and think about it, dream about it, we really, we really can do it. And that, that was another moment that just changed me. And then you I, had to you had to think about it beforehand, like, this is the thing I want to do. Oh, man, I was thinking. I'm going to work at it, yep. and then I'm going to try. Because there have been some uh, – I, I had I had a poster that had you hurdling a guy. Although you were on his shoulders. Which yeah, one that was, was that? Bronco Rider. So same game, and I tried to jump oh, over the again. same guy <laughs> in the fourth quarter coming the other way. He's not having it this time. No, this time uh, he like jumped up and kind of caught me. Yeah, but I landed so gently that it was hilarious. He broke and your fall. His yeah. teammates, if you can see him in the back of the in the in that in the back of the picture, they started busting on him. As soon as we got up, they're like, "Dude, dude, jumped over you again, man!" <laughs> but it was same the same Rogers. game. Yeah, I was just like, "Okay, anyone comes in front of me, I'm jumping." So that's your freshman year. My freshman year. You do this. So my at least twice your senior year. Arkansas State? Arkansas State. Right. I jumped. Like throughout my career it was like seventeen times. Are you serious? Yeah. I didn't know it was that many. So Colorado State, two people on one play to get a first down that we needed. My junior year. Ninety five. Um yeah, ninety five. <laughs> Wyoming jumped over someone. I it was You're right in the middle of the field. Jumping over Wyoming for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I had no business jumping over this dude. I jumped and it was like the dumbest thing ever. And he was like, what are you doing? Um, so a bunch, of, a bunch of jumps. Did people expect it from you? It's, it started you to be... Not, you, are you saying attempted or executed 17 Executed. Times? Did you have any failed attempts? The, the first game after the first jump, we played Ohio State in the Holiday Bowl. And I told myself, I don't care who's going to tackle me. I'm jumping over the first person to come tackle me. Might be some all big So we do a play team. action. John Walls rolls out to the right, throws me the ball in the flat. I turn it up, and there's Marlon Kerner, their defensive back, and I jump right over the top of him. I didn't see Lorenzo Styles, their middle linebacker, coming from my left side. He hits me <laughs> as I'm over the top of Marlon Kerner, and I go flying up in the air and land on that Jack Murphy Stadium turf, separate my shoulder. I don't breathe for two minutes, I run past my team who's getting in a huddle. I go to the sideline, right past the coaches, and I get under the bench. And I'm like, okay, Merrill, the trainer's trying to help me, the other trainers. My offense is calling the next play. We only got 10 players on the field. Norm Chow calls a timeout. He's like, what the heck? Where's our tight end? By this time, I'm looking. He's like, get in there. So I go running back in there. You have a separated shoulder or what? Yes. You're telling me you caught that one-handed pass with a separated shoulder? Yes, because I caught it with my left hand. My that's, right one was jacked. That's why you go one-handed. 
I went because that was the only way to get it because oh it was gosh. so far up there. I have no clue. That's yeah. why we do the show, <laughs> to find out these stories. Oh, my gosh. So that play means so much to me for a million different reasons. Wow. And you kept hurdling even after that. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the interesting thing. My sophomore year, no hurdles. Because Lavelle came to me after that holiday bowl and he said, Chad, that's not smart. You're going to get hurt. You just did. So don't do that anymore. I said, okay, coach. I love Lavelle. I didn't jump anyone for a year. And during that next year, Coach French, God rest his soul, came up to me. We were playing Air Force and he came up and he's like, man, you used to be a great player. You used to be jumping over people and like, and now you're not, you know. And I was so mad. I wanted to fight him right then at Team Meal. I was, I, oh, Let man, I was hot. But he said something that struck a nerve. What he said revealed to me that I was playing good, but not great. Hmm. And I, for myself, found out that I had to be going, I had to be jumping people to be me. I had to be play with my heart and soul. And if I wasn't doing that, I was average. My junior year, I started jumping people again. I was like, Coach Edwards, I love you. <laughs> but I got to jump over people. So you told him before you did it? No, I just did it. And in my <laughs> mind, I was thinking, Coach, I love you, but this is something I have to do. Did he comment to you after? No, he, he just shook his he head. Just let like, it happen. What are you doing? Yeah. Which Lavelle was good at. He was really good letting at Letting things yeah. happen. Right. And so I jumped. And then even in the pros, like there were, I had a few good jumps, and Andy Reid loved it. He just thought it was great. <laughs> And no hesitation. He's like, dude, if you get hurt, good. it's your own salary. You don't yeah. have to go, go for it. Right. In the pros, there's a lot more risk, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. You're losing money. Exactly. But that whole thing, jumping people, the lesson I learned, first of all, doing it was, yes, we can do it. We can channel our mind, our heart. We can chase our dreams in a way that, like, previous to that was beyond comprehension. And then my whole sophomore year, that's when I pitched the ball to Jamal Willis, and he ran for 75. That made the top one? Right. I didn't jump over one person. My junior year, I started up again. Like It was a conscious decision saying, no, I've got to rip it. Mm. And so man, I learned a lot by that. We, we, we're not at our best when we're playing or living like a robot. When we go through the motions, and it's easy for any of us in any industry just to get like either our schedule so busy or just doing it so long, things become robotic and monotonous. And if I can break my mind out of that and live with my heart and soul, then that's what I want to be doing. Okay, so you talked about that mindset. What are you hurdling now? Great question. I've got seven kids, one grandkid. <laughs> that's a lot of hurdles. Two married girls, five boys. One son just returned from his mission, Fresno Spanish, and four boys at home. And... And then my job here and everything else going on in my life, that's, that's my hurdle. That's my mindset. Like, I want to I wanna enjoy everything, both work. I have the coolest job in the world. I love meeting people and being with people that like BYU. And when I go home, that's to me I say every day when I'm leaving, all right, I'm starting my second job. Let's go, man. I want to give my family as much energy as I give work. And I love being around them. I love watching them play. I love the things that we get to do together, golf, whatever. It's just sweet. One of your daughters, Emily, married Matt Bushman. Yep. 
They have a baby now, which is awesome. How's how are they doing? I know Matt's in, uh, with the Raiders. They're doing great. Uh, Matt has a game tomorrow night, first preseason game against the Seahawks. We'll watch him play. He's had a great training camp so far. Um, it's interesting because John Gruden, his head coach, was my first offensive coordinator with the Eagles. How about that? And to hear Matt's stories of John Gruden just killing me, it's so funny. Like, uh, like the first team meeting, John Gruden says, where's, where's Matt Bushman? Raise your hand. He raises his hand. He's like, yeah, you're, you're a lot better looking than Chad Lewis. You're going to be great, man. Let's go. <laughs> and like just constantly telling awesome. stories about Matt in front of the whole team. Like, yeah. So he really likes Matt. Matt's a very incredibly skilled tight end, catches a ball, just ways that you, you can't coach. He's just born, born that way. And it's fun to hear what Gruden's saying. Listen, of course you'd love to have like a, a football player in the fam. It's Emily's choice. But like of all the guys, it's a tight end, and it's Matt <laughs> yeah. Bushman, who's like one of the best dudes oh, of all time. Oh, he's the best. I know. Like, I love him. Was that just like the most amazing thing for you? Like, Emily, this is your choice, but like, I'm yeah. on board with this? I, I knew Matt before she did, so I didn't say a word to her. I didn't say, man, you got to go talk to this guy. I just, yeah. in the back of my mind, I thought, how cool would it be if they started going out? And once they did, I didn't know. And Matt and I were watching tape one day, and he's like, hey, um, I've gone out you know, a couple times with your daughter. I was like, sweet. That's cool, man. Like, I love it. <laughs> I thought it was so great. And then they just kept going out and good things happened. They got married and, you know. You can talk shop in heaven, you know. That's right. That's Very right. cool. Okay, back to your playing career. I moved to Utah when I'm 11 in 95. I go to the Utah game that year as my first home game in Provo. My first road game was 91 UCLA, Ty's senior year. Both losses, by the way. My bad. Um, Sheesh, but you had 90, some karma. Jinx but 96, in, jinx in our team. I go, I'm here now as a kid. I go to like 10 of the 15 games. Like, I'm on it. A&M? A&M, I'm there. Oh, man. Funny that, story real quick. Start. This is about you, not me, but I'll just share the story. I just grab a shirt out of my dresser, and I don't really think too hard about it. Do you want to guess the color of shirt I wore that maroon. day? Maroon. It was a maroon shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I wore a maroon shirt to the AM game like an idiot. Maroon 5, baby. So, yeah. So that's an amazing game. What was that season like? Because this is, you could argue this is, uh, you know, top three team for sure in BYU football history. First team to win 14 games. First team to play 15 games. And you, you're beating A&M and you're beating, uh, you know, Kansas State in the Cotton Bowl and you Pound Utah with like twelve pass attempts and like that was just a special Wyoming of course overtime like that was one of the greatest seasons ever. What was that experience like? That season started before the season. We got a group of guys. We went in and met with Lavelle, and we said, Lavelle, we want to be national champs. That was our conversation. That's ambitious coming off of what seven and four. But the way we finished that season with Sark throwing like thirty-one of thirty-four against Fresno State. Yep. We knew who we had coming back. We didn't have Ronnie Jenkins yet, Brian McKenzie, but we had a squad. So we met with Lavelle, Shea Muirbrook, Sarkeesian. There was a group of us. We said, we want to be national champs. We're willing to give up anything to do it. So some of the guys in the room were like, hey, I've partied before. I'm not partying. Like, I'm willing to give up anything. And we said, we, we have a couple asks from you if it's okay. And he's like, all right. And Sarkeesian said, hey, we want to we wanna cover our tunnel so that when we come out and we're standing in the tunnel, we want to be together. We want to cover over that thing. 
And he's like, okay, I think we can work that out. And Sark's like, and we want smoke. <laughs> and Lavelle's like, okay, yeah, we can work on that. So we had some little give and take with him. He loved us. We knew that. But here was Lavelle Edwards. And to us, he was Lavelle Edwards. He was as iconic to us as he really was. Hmm. So even though we knew him and practiced with him and he was our coach, he was still to us an absolute legend. And we were asking him stuff that had never been done. And he said, yeah, let's do it. I can make some, I'll talk to some people and let's get it done. He got it done. He's Lavelle. He put an awning over that I didn't ramp. realize there wasn't one there before. Correct. Yeah. He had let us have smoke. And you guys had swag coming out. Oh my gosh. It was so cool. So that <laughs> the momentum and the energy and the passion and then the the hunger to be national champs it was like on fire before we played Texas A&M. And then when we played Texas A&M, we get a video the night before the game from Ty Detmer. He was one of the guys on our video. And he grew up in Texas. He had two separated shoulders against Texas A&M when they played him in the Holiday Bowl. And he was at camp with the Philadelphia Eagles when they filmed him. And he said, hey, good luck tomorrow. Don't give these guys any, any respect. They're not going to give you any. Um, go after it. You know, you know I, I, there's no love lost with me in Texas A&M. Like, go get them. And <laughs> what he said was simple, but it was so powerful. And then the next day we went and we beat him. We had a great game. K.O.K. Louis catches a sweet Sarkeesian pass to, to win the game. I think uh, Darren Yancey probably caused a, f- a cause fumble on their quarterback to actually seal the victory. And from then it was on. Like fans rushed the field. And it was before students were even in, enrolled in school, summertime. Yeah, this is in August. This is a pigskin classic. It was yep. early. Yep. And so we were there with, with a limited crowd in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. And they stormed the field, and that's how we started the season. It was so sweet to get, you know, like the year before we played, two years before we played Arizona State, and Rex Lee, the president of BYU, came in the locker room and he said, gentlemen, we don't believe in revenge, but we do believe in paying our debts. So let's go get them. And that was like, (laughs) it was the coolest story. So Texas A&M to us, we had a debt to pay. And we were thinking about Ty, and we were thinking about that Holly Bowl, and it was on. And it was a cool way to start the season. What else sticks out from that year? Because it's just so special. You play so many games. You play in a whack title game that you have to win in overtime on a field goal. You play in the Cotton Bowl, which to this day is the biggest bowl game BYU's ever played. And BYU's played in a Fiesta Bowl, but it was one of 11 bowls, and it was the WAC champ. So Cotton Bowl is the greatest bowl game, and obviously that is there. But what are some of the stories and experiences from that year that stick out? The best part was the competitiveness and the depth we had on that team at every position. I mean, running back, you had Ronnie Jenkins, Brian McKenzie, Mark Atawaya, Dustin Johnson, tight end Mina Tula. It's like everywhere you went, defense, offense, special teams, James Dye and Derek Stevenson. You know, so you had a hit man and you had a return man. You had receivers who were running routes, turning people around. K.O. Kalalui, um, Kaipo McGuire, Ben Cahoon, James Dye. We were, we were just stacked. And practice was intense. And we loved each other, but we competed. And it was just, it was a dream season. It was, we all wanted the Washington game back. We felt like they played better than us that day up there. And it was, it was back when they were, they were rolling. They were a good team. 
that was really difficult loss for all of us, but man, it, it just reset our focus. It was like, okay, let's go. And we, lucky enough, we were able to channel everything. We had the two best DBs that ever played here, I think, Omar Morgan and Tim McTire. They were incredible. Um, and Tim was both hitting people and picking balls off. And and just Omar was a blanket. The, the skill level on that team, it was, it was at a high level, and it was so much fun. We just... Like you talked about, we had some swagger, and it was, it was born of a lot of hard work. Man, I feel like we worked really, really hard, and we competed and challenged each other. And so that was our season. We got to celebrate that the whole year, 14 games, 14-1. and one. Have you ever seen someone get seven sacks in a game since Shane Muirbrooks? <laughs> well, I was talking about That it. was incredible in the Cotton Bowl. I know. I was talking about today because he just sent me a text yesterday about what he saw from Kalani Satake, Nick Greer, and Bill Barr, and what they did with the walk-ons. And he said, I am so full of pride and humility right now. I can barely stand it. Like, thank you for leading the way. I'm so honored. Like, it was just the coolest message. So then I started texting back and forth with him. And just, I mean, that that game was indicative of his career. He was undersized. He was not supposed to be so good. He played four years here as a middle linebacker. And all he did was make plays and inspire the whole team. Super tough. So the night before the game, we're having team dinner. He would routinely like stand up and scream at the team like, stop joking around. This is a business trip, man. Let's go. Get your minds right. And people would look at him like, all right, and he's the enforcer. Deal. And he also had a whole cadre on the team that just thought he was the man. And they, they talked like him. They, they dressed like him. And he was a great <laughs> leader. Like... Shay Muirbrook. I got a I got a phone message from his dad before every game and I saved him for years. Mm. Carl Muirbrook would call and just say, Chad, you're having such a great year. You're such a great dude. And they were so inspiring to me. All the first several years of my career, I would listen to those. Shay Muirbrook, man. On a voicemail machine? Voicemail. You don't have a cell phone at this point. That's right. I got my, cell, my first cell phone. I didn't get it my rookie year. I didn't get it my second year. Because I was like, man, those guys walking around with cell phones think they're big time. I got them my third year. <laughs> that was funny. That's awesome. Okay, at what point are you starting to watch more volleyball matches than you did before at BYU? First year. First year. There's, there's a player that catches your eye here. Oh, my gosh. Changed my life. So I, I said two of the three things that were the fulcrum and pivot point of my life. And they were all right at the same time. So my dad's stroke and my mission, and then coming home and meeting Michelle Fellows. So, All-American volleyball player. Yeah, and I didn't even know that. I met her in the, in the training room, and then we got to be friends, just seeing each other in the facility, in the weight room, whatever, we'd always talk, and I, it finally dawned on me, this girl's so pretty. Like, her eyes are awesome. Like, she's a great girl, and I want to take her out. You have big glasses still? So, yeah, I did sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I did, I got contacts. She's like, I can't really playing see spring ball. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Just shiny. They got a glare. Where but are you? yeah, she she changed my life, and so I fell in love with volleyball and her. And so through training camp, I was trying to before our offensive meetings, we would gather in the Smith Fieldhouse up on the deck where we could watch football practice because, I mean, volleyball practice, and then we'd walk into our meeting, which was up there. Because the offices were in the Smithfield House right. at this point. Right, So I, I got a lot. I watched a lot of volleyball. It was so fun. 
And re- early on, when I went out with her, her, one of her teammates came up to me and said, Chad, do you realize who Michelle is? And I was like, yeah, she's Michelle Fellows. And she's like, no, she's the best volleyball player in the country right now. She's an All-American. Like, so I know you're just a walk-on dude. <laughs> you're like, whoa, hey, It was so on, classic. <laughs> I'm like, okay, message sent, message received. I got it. And from then on, I, I felt just like I do today. Like, I'm the luckiest guy in the world to be married to her. That's how I feel. When did you get married? Got married the following May, May 26, 1994. Okay. So just going into your sophomore year. Going into my sophomore year. When do you get a scholarship, by the way? After the first year? This is the cool thing. I walked on in January, February, had spring ball. Of 93. 93. Training camp of that year, Thursday at the end of the first week, Lavelle said, I want to see Chad Lewis in my office after practice. And I was like, wow, what's that all about? Do you th- I'm walking off the field. Are you confident and Norm something good's happening? Or? I think it's something good. Okay, good. You're yeah. not nervous. Okay. No. They just moved me to second string. So you're like, I'm on the team. I'm not <laughs> I'm getting cut. I'm on the cut. team. Let's go. <laughs> I'm walking off the field, and Coach Chow said, said, Chad, if this is what I think it is, you owe me a steak dinner, man. <laughs> and I was like, the, the only thing that that could be is scholarship. So we get in his office, and he sits back, and he's... He's taking his time, and he just said, hey, really like the way you're working. Just really impressed, and just want you to keep working hard. We're going to we're gonna go ahead and put you on grant and aid. And at the time, I was thinking, like, well, is that full scholarship? Like, What does that mean? <laughs> what does that yeah. mean? And I'm just – I'm so thrilled. I cannot contain myself. I'm ready to cry and laugh and scream all at the same time. And he just said, just keep working as hard as you've been working. And I promised him right then that I would. I said, Lavelle, I – I'm going to keep giving it everything I got. And I, d- I asked him one question. I said, I have a question for you. I just paid tuition. My family's financial resources were blown to pieces with my dad's stroke. I was paying school by myself. I had enough money to get me through that semester. And when he said that I was on scholarship, I was just like, oh, my goodness. I said, what should I do about the tuition I just paid? He said, well, just go up to admissions and they'll, they'll give you a refund, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. Are you kidding? I went up to admissions. I got a refund. I got the money that I paid for tuition. I got it back. And you bought a steak dinner. I bought a ring for Michelle later. (laughs) Yeah, I put that in the bank and it was, uh, just, I mean, it's just so remarkable to me to think about even now in light of what Kalani and Nick Greer did for the walk-ons yesterday. It was so powerful. Yes, it was. And you know that feeling. Uh, there have been Deep. some walk-ons that have really had an impact on this program, right? Obviously, Dennis Pitta. Dennis Pitta sticks out. Beast. Like you and Dennis Pitta, two of the greatest tight ends we've ever had, started as walk-ons. That's amazing. Does that... I mean, there are walk-ons at other schools. Nebraska, like, famously right. has good walk-ons on defense specifically. BYU's maybe not unique specifically to that, but it does feel like there have been NFL players I know. who started as walk-ons. So I have to question— I think question it's a little the, unique because the missionary program. We're coming home a little more mature. Those that still have a desire to play now have a work ethic that they can put their talents into. I think that ties into a plus the just the the legacy that Lavelle created with allowing walk-ons to play. 
it's part of BYU football to play. To play. Not just be bit up in practice. Right. Everyone's got those guys. Right. Rudy is the tail of right. that guy. Played and I one don't think, snap and he was offside. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there was any hazing. I think Lavelle always treated people the right way. And I think he created a culture where hmm. walk-ons could thrive here. And we have. And so people believe. It's like, I want to walk on. I want I was, to do it. I was going to ask you with the hurdling thing. Were you a good, high, like in high jump, you did high jump in high school? Yeah. Very you, average. But you were very average. Yeah, I okay. jumped 6'6". Six, six. I had great hops and horrible form. But you were good enough to be on the track team? Yes. So mm. when I came home and walked on to the BYU track team, like I said, I was a low jumper. I really was. <laughs> I'm, I'm not Mark Chen, you know, jumping over seven feet. And uh, I had some skills. I could jump really high, but my form was really bad. So if I continued to work on it, I could have gotten to where it would have been something. It would have been nice. I think you made a huge mistake, Chad. Said, said nobody. Yeah. I want to go back. <laughs> what would have oh. happened in the multiverse? <laughs> nope. Okay, so you uh, win the Cotton Bowl on January 1, 97. Oh, it's incredible. Are you thinking you're going to you – got, you got a chance to be drafted? Yeah. You don't end up being drafted. Yeah. It works out, spoiler alert. Yeah. But you think you're going to be drafted maybe? Yeah, I thought after my freshman year, the, the Holiday Bowl, making plays, I just felt like – I can do this. I'm going to have to change my body to get much stronger. Um, and You're I just, skinny. Yeah, very skinny. I, I just said I can put on a couple pounds each year, and I can do this. By the time I leave BYU, if I'm looking like a pro tight end, I can do it. And you are by the time you leave. Yeah. You're looking like a pro tight end. So if I, my senior year, I was 250. So I put on about 10 pounds each year. And I felt like at the end of my senior year, I could do it. I felt like I would be drafted. Everyone I talked to in the pros felt like, three to fifth round, whatever, you'll get drafted. And I was not a great blocker here. I was adequate. I did what I needed to do. And Norm Chow was so cool. He, he would always say, just get in people's way. Like, catch the ball, make plays. That's what I want. And I'm like, deal. Got it. I can do that. And so I was not a great blocker. I was older. And I was undrafted, which was frustrating. But, again, at the time, the only thing I wanted – was a crack in the door. That's it. I wanted one shot in a camp, and I felt like I'm going to prove that I can play. So during the draft, 14 teams called and said, we want you in camp. Will you agree to come to our camp? And I said, you know, I'll wait until the draft is over, and then, you know, thanks for calling. And my favorite one was Marty Schottenheimer called from the Chiefs. As Michelle and I went for a quick drive. I'm frustrated. I'm not getting drafted. And my dad picks up the phone. Again, he doesn't really know a lot about football. And this guy says, hey, is Chad there? No, he just stepped out for a minute. Can I have him call you back? Yeah, tell Marty Schottenheimer call. He's like, okay, how do you spell your name? And Marty started <laughs> to spell his name. And then he got frustrated. He's like, hey, just tell him the head coach called, Kansas City Chiefs. And I just thought it was so funny. I was like, oh, can you spell that? <laughs> I don't think I can spell it right now. Uh, and it doesn't matter. So that. I was lucky. I mean, yeah. it came down to several teams, and I had already studied every team, who the offensive coordinator was, who the quarterback was, what tight ends were there. It made sense for me in a, for many different reasons to go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Ty Detmer quarterback, John Gruden offensive coordinator, and I just knew there was going to be a spot for me, and it was. My agent, Don Yee, and I, he and I had – you know, went into the draft with that in mind. Let's study. Let's be ready for everything. And 
So even though it was disappointing not to get drafted, it wasn't, it did not rock me. It was disappointing, but I still just wanted a crack. Just give me a chance. And so sometimes I feel like watching our guys, I feel like they're rocked when they're not drafted. You know, you, you still need to have a fire burning to go make the team. And I was lucky enough that I had a sweet wife that supported, you know, that, that desire to go play in the NFL. It's not the easiest profession or the best environment. But she was right there beside me from the first second I said, let's do this. And without that, it would have been impossible. It really would have been impossible for me. That's a tough, tough go, very tough environment. And I had to have her. So it was, I'm lucky. And you experienced this yourself with your daughter and son-in-law. Yeah, with seeing Matt it Bushman. all the over again. The same thing where if he's playing at BYU, like he is undoubtedly a draft pick. He tears his Achilles. I know. And then he's undrafted. Yeah. So And they think two things. They think he's old. Yeah. So he's been a return missionary, and he's injured. Within a year, he's torn his Achilles. Can we put money into this person? Yep. And he's proven to them they made a wise decision because he's catching balls like only he can. Like in traffic, he's really nice, and he's doing a great job. Yeah. Okay, so at this point, you decide, okay, Philadelphia. Hey, yep, went to Philly, everything right. Nope. <laughs> They they end up cutting you. Well, it was first year was great. I yeah. had four touchdowns. I started some games as a rookie. You're like playing in the NFL, man. It was awesome. And like catching touchdowns. Yep. Caught two touchdowns against the Cowboys. One, the third game of the year on Monday Night Football. And the best part about that is the night before the game, John Gruden says to the whole team, we're going to start the game. He does his first 15 plays. So we go through the first 15. First play, I want Cougar Chad personnel. That was my personnel. We're going to run 322 Y-Stick, which is just a simple five-yard route to the tight end, basically guaranteeing the tight end is going to throw me a pass to start the game. Monday Night Football in Dallas against the Cowboys. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? That's awesome. So I go to bed, and, you know, I don't know when I fell asleep. I was pumped. Go to bed, wake up, go to the game. After the kickoff, I walk into the huddle. Ty calls a play. Red, right, red left, 323 Y stick. And I look up, Cowboys are in nickel. Deion Sanders is guarding me. <laughs> man to man. I'm like, for sure Ty's not going to throw it to me. I run my route, Ty throws me the ball. I catch it, Deion tackles me. I've seen his face so many times on TV for years. I stand up and he's looking at me and I pat him on the top of the head and I was like, what's up, Dion?" <laughs> <laughs> I exit the field because I'm off for the second play, back on for the third. And when I exit the field, Luther Broughton, the other tight end, we're both rookies. He said, what are you doing? Because he saw me pat Dion and be like, what's up, Dion? I was like, Lou, man, I've seen him so many times on TV. He stood up in front of me. I was just like, what's up, Dion? <laughs> He's like, Chad, you're so stupid. <laughs> and then later I caught a touchdown in that game. Ty threw me one, double jet, two jet double swing post. Sweet pass. I love that you remember the play call. And it was just so fun. So that year, four touchdowns. Yes. The second time we played the Cowboys, I caught a game-winning touchdown in the rain. And it, At that, home this time? Oh, my gosh. At home, Eagles fans went crazy. Sunday night football. It was, it was Sunday afternoon. It was so cool. And 
So after that year, John Gruden goes to be the Raiders head coach. John Gruden was the one making sure, I mean, I, I just fit in offensively what he was doing. The next year we, we had different coaches that, you know, they thought very different of me. The second game of the year, I broke my ankle and I was gone the next day. It's like, boom, see you later. That fast. Boom. And then you go to the Rams? Went to the Rams. Ten weeks later when I'm healthy, Dick Vermeil picks me up. I play the last three games there. Kurt Warner is the scout team quarterback. I'm running route for, routes for him. 98. This is the year before they win the Super Bowl. Yes. I'm running routes. And I'd come back to the huddle and I'd say, Kurt, dude, that was the best corner that anyone's ever thrown. Are you serious? He was throwing dimes. And he would laugh. He's like, oh, man, that's cool, man. Whatever. Control of fame. So work my butt off all off season. Check in. We got Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt, Ricky Prohl, Oz Hakeem. We're loaded. I was, on turf. I was awarded in training camp. So we check into training camp. So everything we'd done that offseason, I was the best conditioned offensive athlete from like all the testing we did. And that was pretty cool. They said, two tickets anywhere TWA flies. That was my gift. Where'd you I thought go? that was so cool. Where'd you go? I got cut week 10. I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't give it to you right then? It was like, no, it was like, oh, come on. I know, what a bummer. So we go through that whole season. I'm a backup tight end. Kurt Warner turns into Hall of Fame. Kurt Warner, Ozakim, Ricky Prohl, Torrey Holt, and Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. Marshall Falk just dominates. We win the Super Bowl. But I'm cut and traded back to Philadelphia, who now has Andy Reid as the head coach, first-year head coach. So when I go back, the first thing Andy said was, I know, because I got picked up on the wire by the 49ers, Steve Young was still there. So Andy said, look, I know you wanted to go finish a career with Steve Young, but I need to hear, we need to turn this thing around. I said, Andy, I've already been on my playbook. Same playbook as I had with the Eagles first with John Gruden. They both came out of Green Bay, West Coast offense. I said, coach, I've already been on my playbook I'll be ready to rock and roll this week. He put me in. I caught a touchdown against the Colts that Sunday. Spencer Reed, BYU tight end, happened to be guarding me that play. He did a great job guarding me. I still caught it for a touchdown. I was made the starting tight end on Monday the next week for the Philadelphia Eagles. And that was like the most amazing little turnaround ever. And I could talk to you for hours about the coolest stories from Dick Vermeil to Andy Reid all in that week. It was sweet. We'll do part three and <laughs> part two and part three. And, okay, so when the Rams win the Super Bowl, are you thinking, shoot, I should have been a part of this or could have been a part of that? Or are you like, no, nah, I'm in Philly, we're good, Andy's here, my guy. Are you also thinking about San Fran? Like, there's a lot of emotions there, I think, right? Both. When, Ann, when Dick Vermeil let me go, he said, look, I didn't want to let you go because we're going to win the Super Bowl this year. And I just felt like you need to have an opportunity to be somewhere. You're older. You got you to play. I know you can play. And, so, and then when I went down to have my exit physical in St. Louis, there was Mike Martz, the offensive coordinator, and I said, hey, I'm getting released. He's like, oh, man. He said, hey, if you get in the right system, if you get in the West Coast system, you're going to be a Pro Bowl tight end. And I'm looking at him like, dude, you're my offensive coordinator cutting me right now. Why don't you just and then me he said, and I got great confidence in you. Right now, you can you could catch a game-winning touchdown. I, I, would, I have all confidence in the world that you can catch a game-winning touchdown right now. This is in the pros. 
And so I'm thinking in my mind, like, well, why, why are you cutting me then? Yeah. But it was all part of a, a better, bigger, more divine plan for me to go back with Andy, to be in the West Coast, comp, to West Coast offense, and to be plugged into what Andy was doing. And so what's interesting is that year we finished the year playing the Rams in Philly. I did catch a touchdown, which was the last touchdown, which helped us win that game. And, you know, after the game, got to hug all my teammates and talk to them. And, and then within a year, I was the starting Pro Bowl tight end for the NFC. And it was interesting that that's what Mike Martz was saying. Like, hey, I have all the confidence in the world that you'll be a Pro Bowl tight end. That gave me a ton of confidence, even though he was cutting me. And I believe you can catch a game winner right now, which, you know, happened. 2000, 2001, 2002, you're in the Pro Bowl. In right. fact, 2000, you're, you're even above that. You're all pro. It was, it was a great ride. Do you, ever, do you ever flash back in that moment to like, hey, I was this low jumper <laughs> guy and now I'm all pro in the NFL? Like, if you're all pro, you're legit. Like, Pro Bowl's amazing. What Andy all Reed, pro is another level. What Andy Reid wanted was for us to be humble and hungry. And that was his thing all the time. Like, I want you guys to, like, want to get after it. Learn as much as you can from everyone, coaches specifically. And then, so that's your hunger. And then I want you to be humble, too. Like, don't think you're too big big stuff. Like, Dick Vermeil was so good about that, too. Like, hey, any one of us can get replaced at any time by someone who's less qualified, younger, and better looking. So just get ready. So these jobs are temporary while we got them. Let's rip it. And Andy was very similar too. Like, hey, don't be holding anything back. And so to go to the Pro Bowl was just, it was really just a step. It wasn't a destination. It was like, okay, let's go. Let's go. We had a great team, unbelievable defense. My quarterback, Donovan McNabb, was, felt like the best in the business. And I was hungry. I wanted to keep going. We have a drop, like a soundbite that we play on BYU Sports Nation occasionally. That's you saying, Dale Gray. <laughs> did Donovan McNabb ever give you Campbell's Chunky Soup? We did a commercial together. You did? Yeah, so we sat there on two different sets, all three different <laughs> sets, because we were at the stadium, in a hotel, and our locker room. All day filming, a bunch of us teammates. And you didn't know who the camera was like focused on at, at times. And so you, we, after 10,000 scoops of soup, it was like, okay. And so one time I was just pouring the soup, not in my mouth. I took the scoop. And then dropped it back in the bowl, like right in front of my lips. Yeah. Cut! What are you doing, Chad? Like, dude, we got the close-up on you. <laughs> you can't be pouring your soup back in the bowl. Like, we've been eating soup now for about 10 hours. <laughs> Just tell me if you want me to eat it. Yeah. So he was, Donovan is the most hilarious dude. He can mimic anyone. He could talk to you oh. for five minutes, and he's got your voice, your inflection, your mannerisms. And so he would start many of team meetings by imitating either Andy Reid or Brad Childers, Rod Dowhauer, Pat Shermer, any of our coaches. That's hilarious. Or people in the media. Um, and he was so funny. We would just be dying, and Andy would come walking in the room, and the whole team would be laughing. And then we'd go quiet and... And he would look around like, you know, like a little wry smile. Like he knew exactly what Donovan was doing. And he let him be Donovan. Yeah. And he was, he was just classic. He was the best. Tell me about Andy. Andy is, he's the greatest man in, in football. He treats people with total respect. 
He's genius when it comes to the game of football. He knows it. He's studied. He's paid his dues. He started at San Francisco State. Of course, he was a GA here, San Francisco State. Then I think he went to NAU. Then I think he went to Missouri. And then Holmgren called him up to work with him at the Packers, was there seven years. And then from a quarterback's coach, he became head coach of the Eagles, was there for a long time, and now he's at Kansas City winning Super Bowls. Even people that didn't work on Andy's team that he let go, they still are thrilled that he won a Super Bowl. I don't know anyone that doesn't like him. He's had the greatest ups you can have in the game, winning a Super Bowl, and he's had the greatest lows in life, losing his son, Garrett, to an accidental overdose in training camp after a couple years before having you know brushes against the law and being addicted to drugs and going through recovery, getting back healthy, and then even this last Super Bowl, his son Britt getting in trouble. I mean, those are those are those are crushing things for the best of men. And he's been able to weather those with his faith in Christ, his goodness, his wife Tammy, his family. Um, he's seen it all. He's done it all. He's. I think what people love most about him is he's just Andy Reid. He just, even though he's a Super Bowl winning coach, like you talk to him, you sit down and he's just, he's funny. He's self-deprecating. He's really engaging. He's nothing big time about him. It's just like, oh my gosh, I just got done talking with, to one of the most enjoyable dudes ever. That's Andy Reid. And he coaches that way. When he needs to crack a whip, he will. Like he'll, he'll get after you. And, but it's like, you need it. And you know you need it. And then he'll, you know, be funny. And he's just, he's got this amazing balance. He's, he's doing what he was born to do. And what's cool is he was going to be a doctor until Lavelle intervened and said, Andy, I think you'd be, a, I think you'd make a great coach. And Andy was like, really? Just like nondescript offensive lineman at BYU. Yeah. And he got him to be a GA, and he said, you're going to be a great coach. And then Lavelle proceeded to follow up his entire career, constant messaging, you know, letters, phone calls, talk to him every week. And Andy would pull me into his office at Philly and show me some of the messages, the cards that Lavelle would write, and they were just so classic. Like I got to know Lavelle in a different way by seeing those letters to Andy funny, you know, really funny. Just the Lavelle is amazing. So Andy had, he had a lot of Lavelle in him, a lot of Lavelle. I'd say mostly Lavelle. He had a lot of Mike Holmgren in him. Mm. He had a lot of like other coaches in him, mostly Lavelle. And it was interesting when we went to the Super Bowl, we flew to Jacksonville. Lavelle came with us. With the team. With the team. Nice. So here we were checking into the hotel in Jacksonville. We sit down to have a meal. I had just had my foot operated on. I tore my Liz Frank catching a touchdown in the NFC Championship game. So I'm sitting at the table with Andy as we have dinner that first night with Lavelle and Rod Dauhauer, our offensive coordinator, and our wives. And Andy and Lavelle were just talking about football. And it was so cool as they were going back and forth. Lavelle said, Andy, I love everything about what you're doing. But the time commitment that you put in, like you, you sleep at the stadium so many nights, I couldn't do that. And Andy's like, I know, but that's just kind of what it requires. Like, that's just the job now. 
And Lavelle's comment was something like, yeah, I agree with everything but that. I, I can't do that. Like, that's, that's the one place where we're a little different. And that's Andy. Like, his commitment, he's earned it. He's earned everyone's respect. And he continues to grind and study and learn. And he's sharp. Like, the things he's doing with Patrick Mahomes are cutting edge football IQ stuff. And it's not just him. He's got great quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators, but it's him. Like, he's sharp and very creative, using speedy dudes, and he's amazing. I, I could talk about Andy all day long. He's got the Hawaiian shirt every year in the coaches' <laughs> know, pictures. He's got the cheeseburger thing <laughs> oh, after games. Oh, dude, right? I love it. Every, Treat you to a cheeseburger. That's how he ends yep. his team meetings every, every Saturday night. All right, let's go get him. Treat you to a cheeseburger. Treat you to a cheeseburger. I love that. We had him in the building for Football Media Day a couple of years ago, and it was so awesome. Yeah. It was so awesome. He couldn't have been cooler. Jason Shepard, uh, who works here, huge Chiefs fan. He was on Cloud Nine. <laughs> Andy Harris. It was so awesome. He's so good. It was so awesome. Yeah, and he's he's repped in a way where I think we think, and you talked about that's an interesting difference with Lavelle. Obviously, Lavelle has a chance to take the Detroit Lions job. He's going to get paid like six times more or whatever. Whatever BYU paid him, they could have paid ten times more and it would have been still underpaid. Like whatever yeah. Nick Saban makes, he's underpaid. Like yeah. the value <laughs> to know. that team and whatever. What Andy Reid has done in the NFL is what we th- would like to think Lavelle could have done, right? So we've sort of had this cathartic experience through Andy being his own guy, but also sort of carrying that, like, we had the Lavelle Edwards in college, and BYU also had the Andy Reid in the NFL. I know. It's amazing. It's pretty special. Yeah. It, so when he wins the Super Bowl, he wins for BYU, too. Yep. He doesn't just win for the Chiefs. Yep. That's pretty time. special. I know. Okay, let's talk about the 2005 NFC Championship game. You mentioned, you tore your Liz Frank. Liz Frank, what's Liz Frank? That's what Taysom Hill tore in 2015 against Nebraska as well. It's in your foot. It's named after a French dude falling off a horse, whatever. Like, there's stuff, Well, the right? surgeon for Napoleon was Jacques Liz Franck. There you go. The so, surgeon of... So at the time, yeah. if, you, if you fall off your horse and your foot gets stuck in the stirrups and you violently dislocate your forefoot, they didn't have a surgery back then. They would just chop the forefoot off. Well, good thing you were born now. I know. (laughs) So they'd call it the Liz Frank amputation. And now those key ligaments are called Liz Liz Frank. Liz Frank. Liz Frank. Liz Frank. So you catch a touchdown pass in that game. It's the game winner, right? It's a game winner. To send your team to the Super This was to seal the victory. We're already ahead. Okay, to seal. But if we... If they get the Falcons get the ball back and come down, then we're in... Maybe they go to Deep stuff. So yeah, we got to... Falcons? Yeah. Okay, maybe they do, right? Who knows? We got to score. You we gotta seal score. a victory. You right. catch like a toe-tapping, two big toes-in touchdown to seal the win. That was earlier. I caught the toe-tapper was earlier. Okay. And then the you know back-shoulder-twisting one is when I popped the Liz Frank at the very end with three minutes to go. That was it. To seal the win. Yeah. Walk me through kind of the you make you catch this ball – and this sends you to the Super Bowl. <laughs> it was so great. But you know you're hurt and you oh, can't play in the Super goodness, Bowl. Oh, my I know. The sacrifice of that moment. It started before the game because the week before we played the Vikings and I popped something in my tricep. Mm. So I asked my dad and my brothers to give me a blessing before the game. So we're in the airport Marriott in Philly. They give me a blessing. And then I go to the game. We play the game. I feel like Superman. I'm having a nice game. And at the end of the game, I catch... My second touchdown, seal the victory. And while doing it, I feel my foot pop as I'm falling to the ground. And immediately my life stands still. It's one of those moments where 
It's just, I'm having an out-of-body experience. Time froze. I knew we were going to the Super Bowl, and I knew I was not going to be able to play. Something happened to my foot. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew it was either broken or something was jacked. And so I rolled over, I sat down, and I celebrated. And LJ Smith came over the other tight end, picked me up, and I said, LJ, I just broke my foot. He was like, no way. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And so I hobbled over to be the wingman for the extra point. I couldn't squat down. I tried to squat down. And so I called a timeout. And Andy's looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, who calls a timeout during an extra point? And I walked over to him, and I'm kind of walking on the side of my foot. And I said, Andy, I just broke my foot. He's like, what? Are you sure? I said, yeah, I heard it pop. And he's like, oh, man. I sat and the down. crowd's going crazy. Yeah, they don't know. Like, you're going to the Super Bowl. My wife has already ran from her seat to the tunnel to get ready to run on the field. She doesn't know what's going on. And party so hard. Right. (laughs) Philadelphia's going nuts. We've been to four (laughs) NFC championships in a row. We lost to the Rams in St. Louis. We lost to the Buccaneers in Philly, last game of Veterans Stadium. And we lost to the Carolina Panthers in Philly, first year of of Lincoln Financial. This is a huge moment for the city. Yeah, huge. I sit down on the bench. The trainer takes off my shoe. And he says, man, I think he... Tori, Liz Frank, we need to go get an x-ray. I said, I'll put my shoe back on. I'm going to stay right here and celebrate when my team will do it afterwards. Is it freezing outside? It's freezing. Snowed a foot before the game, the night before. Did that have anything to do with the injury? I don't know. It could have. It was really, really cold. And it was so cold that Ty Detmer, his wife, flew up from Atlanta. Is he on the, the Atlanta pilot, staff at this point still? Yeah. Okay. No, he's on Atlanta's team. He's like, yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, so yeah. I, we got Coy Demmer He's and they like got the Ty third Demmer. He's quarterback or right. Whatever, right? He's helping Michael Vick. Yes. Yeah. The pilot that flew those guys up to the game got hypothermia at the game. And as they're flying home from Philly, they had to do an emergency land somewhere to go get warmed up. That's how cold the oh game my was. Gosh. The game was freezing. So as soon as the game's over, I'm walking on the field and I'm, I can walk on the outside of my foot, taste him actually played for part of that Nebraska game he before he said, quarter. it's over. Like, my foot is killing. So you can walk, you can, like, tape it up and go, but it's, it's nuts. Jeez. So Michelle comes running from somewhere, jumps on me as I'm getting interviewed by Fox Sports. And I was like, oh, Michelle, wait, wait, I broke my foot. And she's like, what? I just saw you score a touchdown. I said, yeah, on that play. I need to get that Fox interview. That'd be crazy. Like, so you said that live on the air? Yeah. And is that, that's the first time anybody really knows. They didn't even really catch it. The sports didn't really catch it. And I didn't say anything about it. Mm. And they were like, what, what, what? And then my brother came and Dave jumped on me. And I was like, wait, 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 I broke my foot. And then I go back to the interview. So they didn't really hear it. And even in the post-game interviews, I didn't say a word. I wanted the Eagles to celebrate we were going to the Super Bowl. You didn't want it to be a story. Correct. I go in, I get... X-rayed, you stand, it's a weighted X-ray, and they know immediately, you tore your Liz Frank, you need to have surgery on Wednesday. So I called Andy, we were talking about it in the locker room, and then even after I said, call Jeff Thomason, he was my backup tight end. He's been running triathlons, he's, he's still in shape. Call him, work him out, which is what happened. He'd been out of football doing construction for a year. <laughs> They called him, he came back, and he played in my place 
in the Super Bowl. Wow. <laughs> it was so great. Wow. So that week he was on everything, Good Morning America, the early show, blah, 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 blah. He was on every program because it was like, construction worker to the Super Bowl. This is crazy. Yeah. And I was thrilled for him because he's the coolest dude ever. But Were you was, jealous at all? I wasn't jealous, but when I got to the Super Bowl, our team ran out on the field. I was the last one to come out of the tunnel in my, I'm in a, like a jazzy scooter, you know, wheeling across the field. And I'm in the sideline, and that's when it dawned on me. I had 18 people from my family at the, at the Super Bowl. That was my Super Bowl, my family. And I realized it there more than anywhere else that this game is going to be over in three hours. My family's forever. This means more. My family means more to me than anything. And that was, a, that was quite a moment. Like, here I am. I've been in my yard as a little kid pretending I was in the Super Bowl. And now I'm actually at the Super Bowl, and I, I can't play. And it, it was okay. Like, It was okay. Because of my dad's stroke, he's never complained about a stroke. And because of the blessing that I had and this divine feeling that everything was going to be okay, when I was sitting in the end zone celebrating the touchdown, I knew that everything was going to be okay. Total peace. It was a divine gift. That's the only way I can describe it. Because of that, everything's going to be okay. And to this day, you know, all these years later, it's still okay. It's like, hey, look, I'm glad Andy came in the locker room after the game. He's like, well, man, at least you went out with a bang. <laughs> You're like, come on, man. <laughs> and I did. I Pun felt intended. like I gave it everything I had, yeah. you know. And so, I mean, some, some guys play a whole career, never, never go to the playoffs. And I got to have some cool moments, and I'm grateful for those moments. I can't think of a less peaceful moment than w- what you described, because in that moment, just hysteria. Oh man! Yet you're having this. It was crazy. It was the uh, best, best, worst moment of my life. Yeah. It was like that's a great description. Just my soul got stretched so far right then, like celebrating and just as disappointed. It was just amazing. And without that divine gift, it would have crushed me. I would have been bitter or I would have been, I just think God somehow took the pain of that away and just allowed me to have peace. Mm. Cause that could have been terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Instead you've described it as something that <laughs> yeah. moved you in a positive way, yeah. which is great. Yeah. You go on your mission to Taiwan, you learn Mandarin. Later, the NFL sends you as an ambassador to Asia. I think you call a Super Bowl. In Mandarin or something? Yeah, before I called the Super Bowl, they sent me there on a on an ESPN star, which was a Asia ESPN affiliate, on a junket, like a Goodwill tour. So we go to Taiwan, my mission home. We go to Thailand, we go to Singapore, just spreading the game, doing Goodwill, doing interviews, just Spreading fun. the gospel of football. This That's time. right. Good gospel. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I asked the NFL, I said, hey, we don't have anything going on on Mo- I think it was Mother's Day or Father's Day. And I said, that night, do you mind if we go down to Taichung? And they said, yeah, the night's yours. I said, okay. I, I set up a fireside with like Church Public Affairs in Taichung, right where I served. And it was beautiful because at the end of the fireside, this woman at the back stands up and she said, look, you keep going on and on about how you love these different cities and Feng Yuan is one of them. I live in Feng Yuan. I don't, I don't recognize you. I don't remember you. And I knew who she was. Her name was Sister Wu. Her husband was a branch president. I said, I know you. You're, you're Sister Wu. Your husband was a branch president. You had a one-year-old baby boy when I was there. I had dinner at your house a bunch of times. 
And she was just stunned looking at me. And so afterwards, she came up and I showed her the picture of me standing with her. And she's like, oh, my goodness, you've become so fat. (laughs) (laughs) And you didn't have glasses anymore. No glasses, yeah. That's hilarious. Great experience. So from that first Goodwill tour, then when I was standing on the sideline, sitting on the sideline for the Super Bowl, Paul Tagliabue, the commissioner of the NFL, came to me and said, hey, we're going to go to China for a Fortune magazine conference and other stuff for the NFL. I'm going. Would you travel with me? I was like, are you kidding me? Let's go. So I got to go to China for a week with Paul Tagliabue, the commissioner, every morning, lunch, dinner. I'm listening to him tell the coolest stories about the NFL, and we're visiting sites that in China that we could potentially have a preseason game. And we we went, you know, to Shanghai and Beijing, and it was just the coolest trip. And from then, the NFL started having me go quite often, where I would go cover football games Sunday night and Monday night football, which was there Monday morning and Tuesday morning, on the internet. I would call the games. And I also got a call the first Super Bowl that went live. It was Super Bowl 38, Patriots, Panthers, Delome, Brady, and I was down in Houston calling that game in Chinese when it went live. And it was incredible. And here I am. I've got no business actually calling a football game in Chinese. <laughs> I was going to say, how, how, many, <laughs> how many football Chinese words did you know? But this is what I was saying. Wojerdao. Wojerdao Tom Brady Chuan I testify that Tom Brady is throwing true passes. <laughs> you know, that was my language. They were like, who is this guy? Where did we find him? <laughs> And so That's I was great. doing it with Mr. Han, who was like John Madden of sports broadcasting in China. And my language was all missionary Chinese yeah. language <laughs> the whole time. And so I testify that made I'm the most good. of it. It was fun. That's great. Okay. Uh, later, you, because you're just going over, all over the world uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, Wounded Warriors, Teddy Bruschi. Tell me about that, because that, that sounds unbelievable. Right when I took this job at BYU, I get a call from the NFL International. Hey, we're going to put together a group to climb Mount Kilimanjaro with the Wounded Warrior Project. So they're going to send about five wounded warriors to help them get, you know, get over some of their PTSD and get back into stuff, do something successful, help them kickstart. We're going to shine a spotlight on the Wounded Warrior Project. Would you be willing to come with us and hike Kilimanjaro? Two themes popped into my mind. I, I need to call, like, Michelle, like, I don't want to die on this mountain. And two, <laughs> the song from Toto, like. Africa. Uh, yeah, Africa. Yeah, like, yeah. One of my favorite Kilimanjaro. Songs. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've been singing that my whole life. Let's go. <laughs> I talked to Michelle. You think of Toto. <laughs> <laughs> she was good. Talked to Tom Homo. He's like, I said, Tom, this is going to take, like, 11, 12, 13, 14 days. I'm not sure. He's like, dude, you got to go. That's your job. I'm like, you don't mind if I'm gone? He's like, heck no. Like, that would just make what you do here for us better. Go for it. You're like, Tom, you're a cool boss. Deal. Man. I know. So it ends up being Jeff Fisher, head coach, Tennessee Titans and Rams. Teddy Bruschi, one of my nemesis, played middle linebacker for the Patriots. Three Super Bowls, including the one where they beat us in the Super Bowl. And four wounded warriors, two guys that just had their legs blown off of uh, uh, a girl who had her right eye hit with shrapnel, lost her right eye, 
and another guy who suffered from post-traumatic stress big time. That's our group. We fly to New York City. We tour Ground Zero. We go see where they're building the new museum, like visitor center, jump on a plane, fly to Africa. We hike Mount Kilimanjaro. Five that was a days loaded up. sentence, by the way. Yeah, I Hop know. on a plane. A lot goes on right there. Go to Mount Kilimanjaro. It was so awesome getting to know these guys, the Warriors and Jeff and Teddy. Like, we land in Africa 11 o'clock at night. We're in this little airport in Arusha, Tanzania. There's just an outdoor little booth with a plexiglass thing where we're checking in our passports. We get the whole plane is in a line of 300 people. We're waiting, we're waiting, nothing's happening, we're waiting. Jeff and Teddy and I either flew business or first class. We were up front, so we were the first in line. And Teddy was like, well, where's the warriors? They're way back in line. So Teddy walks back to the back of the line. He grabs the wounded warriors. He's like, you guys are with us. We're a group. So he walks up to the front. It's 100 degrees. Now it's midnight. People are getting antsy. And they see Teddy bringing you know, this caravan of people up to the front of the line. And this dude right behind me starts bickering and complaining, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Teddy just barks at this dude like it's the Super Bowl. He's like, hey, man, we're a group. And so this guy freaks out, runs to the plexiglass, starts banging on the plexiglass. Let me in. I'm I'm the front of this line. And he's kind of yelling at Teddy because we brought all these guys up to the front of the line. And Teddy screams at this dude. He's like, dude, you get back of the line, man. We're a group. And these warriors who don't want to cause any problems are looking at Teddy like, dude, you are our man. So this guy comes back in the line, and he's still grumbling. I turn around to him, and I said, these guys right here just lost limbs and eyes. They put their lives on the line. They've been in Iraq and Afghanistan fighting for our freedom. And the guy said to me, yeah, I read something about that on the plane. So I'm I'm sorry. I just kind of lost my mind for a minute. But it was Teddy that stood up for these guys in a way that was so impressive to them. Like he, he won their hearts right then. And so this whole trip, this week-long hike up and down Kilimanjaro was that over and over again, whether it was Teddy or whether it was Jeff Fisher doing something or the Warriors sharing something. Like we're walking down Kilimanjaro and Brian Wagner from Exeter, California, lost his leg in Iraq as a gunner in a Humvee, they hit an IED. He was changing his leg for about the fifth time walking down. He's in agony. His leg is killing him. It's a fresh stump. Mm. And he said, the greatest casualty in war. It's not my leg getting blown off, Chad. I wish I had my leg. There's so many things I want to do with my leg, but that's not the greatest casualty. The greatest casualty is to be forgotten. So when you go home, will you please remind people what we're doing, who we are, Don't treat us like heroes. We don't feel like we're heroes. We're doing our duty. We love it. Just don't forget us. And I was like, bro, you got it, man. So Ben Lunek, Michael, Nancy Shalero, these guys are, they they revealed what it took to fight for our freedom. The things they went through were so horrific that it changed me to hear their story. And I'm, I'm so grateful for our troops, for our country, for our freedom, for our flag, all of it. That, that trip was, it was an epic adventure. That's incredible. It really is. Okay, let's finish with this. Um, you're an associate athletic director at BYU over development. What are you developing, Chad? <laughs> 
The next great tight end, baby. That's my job. <laughs> Dallin Holker, Isaac Rex. Let's go, man. Um, development just means fundraising. So I've been lucky enough to lead the fundraising team for the BYU Athletic Department for the last 11 years. I love to work with the people we work with at BYU. Tom Homo is an incredible athletic director. And Brian Santiago, Liz Darger, he's got a great team of people that it's great to come to work every day. I love it. I also, as, as the primary responsibility is to raise money. So I'm talking to great people who love BYU all day long. I, they, I just help them tie themselves to the coaches, the student-athletes, our teams. And I get to work with Robbie Bosco and Lee Johnson are two people who you would know. Both played at BYU and in the NFL. And then I'm the sport administrator for swimming and diving. So for the last three or four years, I've been able to work with our swimming and diving program. But working here has been one of the gifts of my life. I didn't want to at first. I told Tom Hommel no three times. I was like, no, I don't want to come work there. I, I don't want BYU to be a job. I don't, when I show up, I don't want people looking at their watch like, where you been, buddy? I, I love BYU. And I didn't really want someone telling me what to do. I'd finished playing in the pros, and I was like, you know, I, I'd rather tell myself what to do. By coming back here and plugging myself into BYU is, has made my life better in a hundred different ways. Number one, I've had to use my skills and talents. And if I was just doing my stuff at home, doing whatever, they would have disappeared. If you don't use talents, you really do lose them. And I've been able to work with incredible people, both in administration, coaches, student athletes, and all the fans that love BYU. Like this is a, this is a dream job for me. It didn't start that way because I didn't want it. I thought, you know, fundraisers are weirdos. I don't want to be a fundraiser. And Tom said, you can do this however you want to. Make it, make it great. Make it, make it fit. And so, look, I've, I've enjoyed every single day working here. I typically run up the steps to my office in the SAB. I love coming here. Um, I just think it's the coolest thing in the world, this place. This, this university is different than ever, any university. What we stand for, what we fight for, what we try and be about, it's really cool. Well, I can't think of anyone better to represent BYU than you in trying to do that. So That's cool. Thanks. It's awesome, man. Well, this has been great. Thanks for uh, coming in and chatting. You, I'm sure we just scraped the surface <laughs> of your life, but uh, I learned a ton about you, so thanks for being on Deep Blue. Jerem, thanks so much. Hit it.